now I'm delighted to uh, introduce our next guest, Jim O'Brien. Good morning and thank you so much for coming in to join us. Good morning, Geraldine. Lovely to be here. Thank you, Jim. Thanks a million. Now, I hear on the grapevine that you did a, a talk yeah. for a historical society, tell me. At the Kilbarn and Terry Glass Historical Society over the other side of the lake. Yes. And it was on the Ireland and that the rural Ireland that made, made me. me. They, they they asked me based on my book. They said, "Would you ever? Would you do a talk?" And so I said, "I'm not. I'm not, I'm not an academic. I'm not an academic historian." Um, and you're a historical society. No, no. They said, "Just tell your story." Like um, and base it maybe. They said around stuff in your book in the matters of great indifference and on the column. Yeah. So I said I would, um, like in Egypt. Uh, so. Uh, <laughs> and I, I've, I've lost sleep and sweat and everything. And even woke, it went very well yesterday, but I woke this morning thinking about all the things I'd left out and the things I'd skimmed over. So anyway. That's I'm, part of the course, Jim. I know, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm awful for going back over stuff. Uh, and the older I get, the, uh, the worse, and uh, it is worse I'm improving, as I say. But anyway, so they asked me to do this. So I began to think, well, um, what are the things that made me, the rural Ireland, the rural Ireland that made me? Well, I was brought up on a small farm, so where did that come out of? Well, I would say the first thing that would have be impacted on that, um, aside from the creation of the, of the, develop, the, of, of the, the Big Bang Theory way back, <laughs> but the, the most proximate thing would be the famine. I mean, the famine uh, created the topography or the, the, uh, of rural Ireland in terms of farming and, yes. and, and in terms of settlement patterns and all that. Um, and so, uh, yeah, the famine, I said, that, that was the beginning of it. And then uh, my brother had drawn my attention a few months ago to a paper by uh, a Limerick historian, local historian who's now passed on, but was very highly regarded, Monachin Shoya, um, uh, uh, Munchen Joyce. And he gave a talk in the um, library in Newcastle West in 1995. Now, I had presumed all the time that Kildaimo, where I come from in County Limerick, is near the, 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 the Meg and is near enough to Shannon. And it was a pretty lively farming area. So I presume between fishing and between the, the quality of the land um, that, you know, we were pretty much insulated from the famine. Yeah. But Shoiga's paper showed that the highest uh, mortality and the, the townsland's post-famine with the lowest populations were one of the places was Kildaimo. Good luck. There was 70 and 80 and 90 percent in some town, townslands, you know, that were wiped out. And that he and he made the same comment. You would expect that in places like West Limerick, uh, you know, um, say, Abbey fertile Field, soil. That, and, that, and but, mm-hmm. but you'd imagine further west in the county mm. that, you know, you would have had high death rates. But 24 percent of the famine of the of, of, of the population um, average 24 percent was lost around Abbey Field. But around Kildaimo, where, I, where I'm from, there was, you know, 60, 70, you know, 80 percent in some places. And why did they, why do they think that happened, Jim? Or why I, do you I, think I, that I, happened? I don't know. Perhaps it could have been overpopulation. Yeah. I was just looking at the, at the mm-hmm. figures. But I suppose one of the things about the famine and one of the things about my family and lots of families, we are survivors of the famine. We have survived the famine. And I remember reading about survivor guilt and, you know, people who survived the Holocaust or people who survived any great, even people who um, disaster like the Stardust and that, mm. why was I saved, you know, and their survivor guilt. It was something I, I hadn't associated with the famine and people had spoken about it. But the next thing anyway, I realised, well, we must have survived because we had land and, um, and, and, and we had, we had uh, some, some access to resources. So 
But we survived the end of the famine. And in fact, there's a fine gravestone erected in 1872 in the local graveyard. So um, the, the, I, I just said to myself, uh, well, for whatever reason, we are survivors. And I wonder why. And why was there such devastation mm-hmm. around mm-hmm. and we had managed to survive? So that's a question that I have to, to, to ask yeah. of, you know, how that was it either good fortune or guile? That's the question, <laughs> you know. Yes. Yeah. And um, so anyway, uh, so but that's was the beginning of what would have made the rural Ireland. The, 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 some, I, some of those people or some of the, the numbers will say that are missing after mm. the famine. Some would have emigrated. Yes. Not everybody would have died. No, no, not, not everybody. And there was um, there was what you might call organised immigration by some landlords, like uh, the Mount Eagles. They yes, are in, they, mm-hmm. they did uh, a lot of it. Um, so that, 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 that also could be the case, you know, uh, very much. But, um, but he said that for whatever reason, there were certain places. Ballingarry was another place. Where, where there's fine land in Ballingarry, you know. I mean, consistently good land. And Ballingarry was one of the places as well that had suffered hugely yeah. uh, in terms of, of loss. And there was one townsland in Croom where there was nobody left. Good God. Nobody. And would it have something to do with landlords taking over the land and not, uh, letting the tenants have access to the produce or what? Would well, it? I suppose this is where the academics would come in now and that yeah. I'm not an academic. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm just not sure. You know, and there could be, you see, you can't have in some places, and again, this is not trying to, 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 to sweeten the pill, um, where, for instance, I know that in Kildama there was a woman called Nora, um, Nora Foley, and my sister, who was principal of the local school, did a project on her. She was like the, the, great, the great mother, Kildama mother, in uh, New York, and anyone from Kildama, she looked after them. Is that right? And she put them in contact with... With, with people so you may have had somebody like that yes, in yeah. areas I don't know but all I know is that that, that there's pretty much uh, uh, cleaned out and you see the thing is about the population I mean I was talking to my brother on the farm funny enough um, yesterday just phoned him for a few facts and figures and he said Jim you know he said I've been reading about the famine he said that's our holocaust he said it is our holocaust and there's no doubt about it I did some I, I, I looked up um, some of the, the, the figures um uh, from after the famine, that that in 1838 the population of Ireland was 8.2 million. Mm-hmm. In the population of the island of Great Britain at that time was 16 million. We were 50 percent, and now the population of the island of Great Britain is 67 percent, 67 million, and we are 6.9 million. So mm-hmm. we're still only 10 percent, and we are the only country in Europe that has a lower population than it had in 1841. Oh, the only country in Europe. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. so it has literally had a, a massive and a huge impact um, in, 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 in who we are and what we are. And yeah. it is something that we, um, you know, I think that there's, there's, a great, there's a great silence around it as well, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is a lot of social engineering around it. I mean. How do you mean, Jim? Sorry. Well, some people would call it genocide. Okay. You know, uh, other people call it social engineering. And there was, there was, a, there was a, what you might call it, an ideological approach to the famine in Britain, a laissez-faire approach. Mm-hmm. This is the market. Some people said this is the market um, sorting out an overpopulated island. Or this is God taking his revenge on a godless people. Mm-hmm. Or this is an act of God and we shouldn't, and because they would have regarded the Irish as dirty and lazy. And this was the kind of the, the Calvinist God 
um, taking out his, mm-hmm. his, his uh, sorting them out. So, th- I mean, there was, there was that kind of thinking mm-hmm. at government level mm-hmm. um, in, in, um, in, in Britain. Trevelyan, you know, the, his corn, mm-hmm. he would have been a great um, proponent of the laissez-faire um, uh, type of approach. So there was, they, they said, the market will sort this out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I suppose whereas the famine was a huge shock, obviously, and mm-hmm. and the figures bear it out, mm-hmm. and the the population, as you say, in eighteen thirty eight compared with the eighteen fifties, yeah. it was a huge sharp shock. But I suppose in in the the century that followed that, um, where we gained our independence and where economic life was very very difficult in mm-hmm. Ireland, particularly for the first you know fifty sixty years of our existence. Oh, yeah. And and there was a huge amount of emigration mm. there, not as dramatic as during the famine, but but it, con- but it continued. Continued, but it, con- it didn't, and the population didn't grow. No, during no, no, those no, times. No. I suppose that one of the things is uh, uh, one of the things you need for to sustain a population is an internal market, a good internal market. I mean, of so I read somewhere where a Dutch, um, would you call it a demographer, had done a study of of Ireland and said that. If we had, if the famine hadn't happened, we would be now 26 million. Good Lord. So it just means that if you had something to sell or you had something to produce, there are 26 mm-hmm. million of a, you know, I'm not saying everything is a market, but, yeah. you know, just and I'm no economist. Um, the other thing I would say that, and I, I said as, as I go through the thing as well, uh, I mentioned that, you know, my parents got married in 1952. And they, um, they, 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 they said, my father said to my grandfather, he said, um, Myself, there's nothing for us here. Myself and Eileen are going to, um, we're going to, we're going to go to England. And my grandfather said, I'll give you two choices. Is that I'll give you the farm or I'll give you the fare to America. But there's no son of mine going to England. Now, yeah. that could Good be. Good Lord. That could be republicanism. Because yeah. my grandfather was republican and our family would have been uh, anti-treaty and all that kind of stuff. Um, but the other side was, it uh, could have been a kind of a social strata thing that, Poorer people went to England, went to England yeah. and the more, you know, the more established middle classes. I would say that in his favour, all our family had gone to America from, he had gone to America himself. Mm-hmm. He saw the right plane, brother's plane flying, you know, yes. so he was, yeah, yeah. he was in America in the early 90s. And also the other thing was, and your, your fellow county man, Eamon Kelly, the storyteller, yeah. Uh, I read in his that, that um, there was a great tradition of going over and back to America. Um, oh, there was. And yeah. people... Um, for instance, that women especially went to America. And there's two things about that. I, read, I remember listening to a discussion on radio in America that one of the reasons why Irish women were very prominent in, say, the, the women's movement and that in, in America and made great names for them, and in religious life as independent, strong women was that it was the only culture in Europe where women could uh, immigrate on their own. Right. They didn't have to have a male chaperone. Mm-hmm. They didn't have to wait for a cousin, a male cousin or a male brother or a male relative to go with them. Mm-hmm. They could go on their own. Right. So that's interesting. But the other thing was they'd go and work and come home and they would bring home their dowry. Yeah. And when they got married, if there was a spinster sister in the house, they gave the dowry to her. So that they'd have the house to themselves. A couples yeah. went to America as well, didn't they? Did, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. In order to get a bit of land and, and settle and yeah, down. Ex- exactly. Did. Mm. And also that the thing about the American wake, fair enough, a lot of people went and never came home. I would say that my father, my grandfather's family, there were six of them, and they all immigrated to America, including him, and on a four, a four of them never came home. Never came home. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Same thing happened in my my mother's mm. family. Um, there were ten of them. 
five boys and five girls. Yeah. And four of the boys went to America and never came home. Never came home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I suppose in recent times and in recent decades, maybe we as a country have embraced Europe. Yes. I mean, we've been part of the EU, previously mm. the EEC, and we look to Europe to trade. We look to maybe Europe's values as well. Mm. And we also look to... Um, so we we discussed it with a previous guest there this morning. So many Irish people end up in different European countries now, mm. which was, is different from before. Oh, it is, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think we're we have gone gone. Uh, we're moving on from the anglophone thing yeah. of the anglophone countries. But you know, you mentioned there about you know that that um, the, the the that even since we got our, our independence, we haven't done much better on the immigration front, and it's very true. And uh, in um, Diarmuid Furter had produced um, uh, figures that between eight, 1946 and 1956, the income, um, uh, the, the incomes in Ireland increased by eight percent. The equivalent all over Europe, having been through a war, in the was forty percent. Yeah. So there was just total stagnation. Yeah. And in fact, um, the year I was born in 1958, sixty thousand emigrated that year. And it had come to the point when Lamas and Whittaker did their stuff that actually there, there was doubt about whether the independence thing had worked out. My God. That in fact, mm. was it a mistake? Yes. That, was, that would be the mufferings of that mm-hmm. were beginning mm-hmm. to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, and because the population went down to 2.9 million, I think, in 1963 or 4. Did it? Oh, I didn't realise that yeah. that low now. Did yeah. Yeah. But I suppose in recent decades, we have... But that's We have yeah. made great strides. Oh, yeah. In that many of the people who have emigrated in the last 20, 30 years did so because they wanted to. Yeah. And, and were highly know, educated. To, and were educated. Yeah. Not, mm-hmm. you know, whereas it was... Maybe desperation back yeah. in the yeah. well, uh, 40s but, uh, and 50s. And even in the 80s. I remember the 80s. Oh, the 80s I, were bad. Were very bad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember um, uh, there was 11 in my family and all the youngest, uh, f- from the youngest four were out of the country in the late 80s, early 90s. They were the, in the early 90s. Uh, th- there was nothing there was and I mean mm-hmm. you know the N17 is the song of that time yeah, you know I wish yeah, it was yeah. on the N17 mm-hmm. and that was very, that was a really sad time I remember Knock Airport remember after Christmas they yes. had, they'd have yeah, the, yeah. the show the, the, the families leaving you know the, the going back but I would say as well funny enough that after the crash in 2009 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 the young people of this country um, did uh, actually took the brunt of the crash they paid for the mistake mm-hmm. now they emigrated they all went off to Australia uh, p- primarily Australia and all over the world they emigrated and they took the pre- by emigrating they took the pressure off because our social welfare system would not have been able no. to no. support no. that is true you know yeah. and it was they paid for um, all these uh, high flying um, uh, the, the developers and uh, and speculators that, uh, that that rendered, rendered us penniless. It was they paid the price for it. Yeah. Yeah. And some of them have never come back, you know. But mm-hmm. they went off. I mean, at that time, do you remember, uh, even, even people with, you know, all professions had to go. And there were people out in Australia and they were waiting to get settled to bring out their families. It wasn't just youngsters yeah. were going, you know, and the mother and uh, the kids were here with, them, with, the, with, with one of the parents, could be the mother or the father, and they were saying, we're waiting t- till he has... Uh, made permanent of the job and we can go, oh, go then. 
Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and that was happening in the mm-hmm. in, in the, recent times. In recent times. Mm-hmm. But there, there's still, I, I think, there is a greater self confidence among Irish people oh, there is, yeah. now than would have been the case back even in the eighties. Yeah, yeah. And and that translates, we'll say, through sport, through music, mm-hmm. but also through entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and technology and yeah. education. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, absolutely. And I mean, there's no doubt about it. In comparison um, to other countries, I mean, a lot of our the countries we kind of look up to or are or, or, or in close relationship with. Um, if you look at, say, Britain is becoming increasingly polarised in terms of right and left, and is particularly, well, not so much right and left, as particularly in terms of the whole Brexit thing has polarised yeah. uh, people, you know, um, and uh, between nationalists and you'd probably call them internationalists, you know. Um, in America, of course, you have the, you have the Democrat and um, Republican divide, which is visceral. I mean, I was there before Christmas, and literally, you there, there's nobody talking. They're not talking to one another at all. Yeah. I watched uh, a show um, that um, Rachel, Rachel Maddock is it, um, and she was, you know, she she'd be saying everything I like to hear. Yeah. But she 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 spent most of her time talking herself on TV. And a profoundly intelligent, articulate person with a deep knowledge of world affairs. But anyone she interviewed agreed with her. There was no dissenting voice on the programme. It was for an hour every evening. Mm -hmm. And the man before her was Chris Casey was his name and the same. And it was on uh, uh, MSNBC. But you go to Fox, then you've got the opposite. And you don't... PBS, Public Broadcasting Service, is the only one that tries to bring some balance. So uh, what I'm saying is we don't have that sharp divide. So when people want to come here, or even people want to locate businesses here, we have a very stable democracy. Mm -hmm. No matter how we give out about it, we have a very stable, sensible democracy that works very well. Jim, going back to your piece now, what were the other influences? Oh, on, well, know? the land acts, I would say mm-hmm. then. The land acts, you know, where, where the, 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 the government bought the land and, and sold it back to the tenants. And so obviously our farm came out of that, yeah. you know. And so all, this, all the small farms, um, you know, uh, around us came out of that. So mm-hmm. the land acts, and I mean, again, Furter says in 2014, 75% of occupiers of land were buying the land off the landlords mm-hmm. through the government grants. Yes, and um, so therefore that created uh, that 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 thing. I would say the next thing when I didn't mention, I forgot to mention last night. I mentioned the creamery. But the cooperative movement, I think, would be huge because that created the creameries, okay. which created a local um, outlet for the produce, especially for milk, yes, primarily, yeah, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, and and that that was the local, the local, the core local business. So um, and uh, so and and as I say, emigration. You know, that, that we always, because we grew up near Shannon Airport, so it's right across the river, we always had a night to America. Yeah. And there was always, as we'd say, Yanks coming home. So we always kind of had a, a, an eye outside of the outside of the, of the, of the, of the, of the country. So those are the things that would have made the small farm mm-hmm. that, that I was brought up in. Mm-hmm. And it made a lot of the, of, of the, the, the locality. And then I suppose the changes in that then began to happen about 19, in the early 60s. With um, the, the uh, Lamas, obviously, and Lamas and and um, and TK T- T- Whitaker and the first program for economic expansion. Mm-hmm. But I can remember slowly but surely people the the affluence coming in. Now we lived in a thatched house. Um, there was a, a big crowd of us in the house. 
Um, but I can remember the, you know, the, the, the first tractor coming. Yes. I can remember more. Advances. Advances. Uh, mm-hmm. More and more, more people getting cars. But what I also remember at that time is a specialisation that we had a mixed farm where we had oats and wheat and barley and we had, now it wasn't a very big farm, it was about 50, 60, 70 acres, I think, and then eventually, by the time my father finished, about 120. Mm-hmm. But, um, but at that time, it wasn't a very big farm, but there was a bit of everything. Right. And, and very um, good land, and, and, obviously. Well, it should have been good land, but mm-hmm. not, the, not, not, you know, it wouldn't be the, 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 quite, quite a bit of low land, what we mm-hmm. call carcass land. Mm-hmm. But we, um, uh, the... But everything, you know, we had thrashing, we had all that kind of stuff. And I can remember all those. And then the cows were milked by hand and all that. But slowly but surely, as the 60s went on, the, um, the what you call it, the, 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 you know, there was more and more mechanisation mm-hmm. and more and more specialisation. And the crops began to fall away. The last ones fall away with the spots. Yes. My grandfather kept a kitchen garden for the house. But we used to grow spots to sell uh, to, to merchants in Limerick. But yeah. we didn't, that, that was the last Obviously, the mixed farming. Yeah. And by the time the 1969, 70 came, it was, it was all just milk. Milk yeah. was, it was the, the white gold and there was a milking machine and all that. And um, But I would say that during that time and um, as well, the, I used to go shopping and I wrote a bit about it in the, in the book as well. I used to go shopping. I did the weekly shopping. I wasn't great at the farming, so they'd send me shopping. <laughs> and I was... Uh, uh, <laughs> I, I, that, I used to get all those jobs like stoking the fire and keeping kippins, getting yeah. gathering, very very important work. Jim. Oh yeah, gathering mm. kippins and getting blocks and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But um, and I became I, I was the only I was said that in the piece I probably said it here before but I was the only male shopper I'd say in the in the in the, in the village <laughs> yeah. and I'd be shopping at all these women the the the, the older women and as I became an expert in things like blood pressure and thrombosis <laughs> and. <laughs> You know, varicose veins, I could hold my own in any conversation <laughs> at seven and eight years of age. Um, and what uh, I, I also mentioned as well, I, I was an altar server at the time and I knew all these women I'd be serving, serving mass and when they came to giving out communion, I'd be tickling them under the chin with the, with <laughs> the pen. But, um, but anyway, at that time, I used to buy for the, for the whole, and for the whole, for the whole house. And my mother would give me a list and I'd have to go to each shop. There'd be something to be bought in each shop. There was a right. butcher shop, there was Slattery's, which was a pub and a butcher and, and a grocery. There was the post office grocery shop and the garage, which also had a grocery shop. So she said, you'll get this year, this year, this year. She spread around her business. But the arrival, the, the, I would say the motor car is what really changed the face of rural Ireland because once the shopping centre you know, yeah, one stop was, shop. Yeah, was uh, happened in Limerick, and then I must say, whatever about Kildare, at least people used to go to town quite a bit to do their shopping. You know, even before, mm-hmm. but for towns maybe like Askeaton, which are further away, or small towns even like Scarif here, which would be further away from Menis and from Limerick, the motor car would have ruined the trade trade in those towns. Yeah, yeah. You no longer had the local cobbler, you no longer had the local draper, you no longer, all those no. just disappeared. And sometimes when I'm out, you know, walking farms, not that I do too much of it now because of the, the COVID, between COVID and everything else, but driving, sometimes the sat-nav will take you the straightest way through to, to a place. Yeah. And I'd go through towns that I would have only seen on the map. And you just see all the names of the doors drapery and, and they're closed, you know. Yeah. But even the, the, the numbers of shops that are closed since I came to Scarif, Jim, yeah, phenomenal numbers. Yeah, of, of, of uh, you know there were how many hardware shops here one time. You know, 
There was a huge... Yeah, there, was a, there were a load of hardware shops. Oh, yeah. I'm just thinking, Jim mentioned about the, the car and rural Ireland, yeah. and, and you're talking about the economics yeah. of it, but also the interpersonal relationships. Um, I mean, I can remember, you know, when I was young and very few people would have a car on, on our road and you would constantly bump into people because people were going by on bikes, yeah. they were going by oh, yeah. on, on horse and carts, donkeys and carts, walking. Uh, and then suddenly over a number of years, maybe through the 70s into the 80s, it changed. Everyone had a car mm-hmm. and suddenly you were waving at somebody every day, maybe. Yeah. But you mightn't talk to them once every six months. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and that, that was a huge change. It was. And the loss of the creamery was a huge change for, for, for uh, farmers because they no longer had that morning chat with their neighbours. They didn't see them anymore. It was a real focus, focal point in a village, it was. wasn't it, Jim? It was. I mean, it I was. remember the cream. We didn't farm now, but going down, my mother would send me down for a little bit of buttermilk or something yeah. like that, you know. But, like, the, the farmers all met there and the donkey yeah. carts and the horse and carts yeah. and the tanks. And it was a yeah. real community, really, wasn't it? It, it was. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing was, I remember my father-in-law up in Longford, Jack Donnellan, talking about that. But he said that, um, you know, and, and he wasn't so much talking about that, but, the, the, you know, when we were joined the EEC, they said, well, the whole half, the half day is spent in the cream and the first thing to go. And he told me, because <laughs> <laughs> they you know, increase the efficiency. He said the other thing, he was at a meeting in Mullingar prior to the join the EEC and this man stood up and said, the first thing that will have to go are the funerals. Yeah. <laughs> you can't have people going off and losing a whole day at a funeral anymore. <laughs> so the rural funerals, they'll have to hold the funerals the weekends or something, but you're not going to have people going off. You know, the, the inefficiency uh, of Jim, that. Jim, we could talk about it forever, but we'll just play a little, a little snatch of music that might be appropriate. Yeah. It's called These Are The Days Of Our Lives by Queen. When we were kids, when we were young 